I understand that uh, there might be someone who found a little something earlier today. Is that true? Did someone actually find the, uh, the bumper sticker earlier today? Anyone? Do you have it? Bring that thing up here, man. Oh, my goodness. Bring that thing up here. First of all, what's your name? Aaron. Aaron? Yep. We signed it, too, just to make sure that that's, that is our... Yeah, it's authentic. It's been authenticated. Uh, how in the world did you find this? First of all, tell everybody where it was. Uh, you walk out the chapel, right to the left, there's a set of bushes, and in front of it, there was a little right white rock, and underneath of that, that's where it was. Did anyone else notice the white rock out of place out front? Did you notice it was out of place? A little bit? Yeah, you should have, you should have done that. So, anyway, as I said, this is a, do you accept American dollars up here? You do now, don't you? All right. There's 100, 200, 300, 400, and 500. Give Aaron a big round of applause. Good job, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, and again, like we talked about this morning, if we will search for God's presence and God's purposes, 500 bucks is nothing. 500 bucks is nothing. It's all about his presence. Hey, I, we're going to talk about something a little bit, but as we get set up, two things I want to do here. Uh, number one, I want to show you a picture of my family. Uh, do we have that picture of my family? Pop that up. There you go. You heard about them earlier. Jackson's on the far left. Uh, my wife, Serena, obviously in the middle. Mac is on the far right. And the funny thing is this picture is two years old uh, because the kid on the far right is taller than I am now. Uh, and the little one, he still looks the same. He still looks ornery, just like that all the time. That's Peyton. But anyway, as we get ready to go ahead tonight, how many of you, have you ever seen a video called The Marshmallow Test? Has anyone seen that? Okay, a few of you have, a lot of you have not. I want you guys to enjoy this uh, as we get ready to roll on tonight then. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. Oh, it smells really It's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. 
All right, so I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. All right, all right, the old marshmallow test. Hey, uh, it, it really is a great lead-in for what we're going to be talking about uh, in tonight's service. And what we're talking about in tonight's service is sex, all right? Hey, how many of you guys have a boxer? Anybody have a boxer? Anyone have a boxer dog? Uh, do they have boxers up here? A boxer? Do anybody have a dog? Do anybody have a dog, retriever, something like that? Okay, there you go. Does no one else have a boxer type of a dog? Wow, okay, we got a boxer back there. There you go. I inherited a boxer uh, from my sister, and it's, it's a bigger kind of a dog, and my boys trained it to play catch. And uh, I've always had little dogs growing up, and, and I was thinking the other day, my dog, and his name is Bowser, uh, I should have brought a picture of Bowser for you guys. Maybe I'll dig one up for tomorrow. But Bowser, it, it's kind of the same way uh, that some people relate to this issue of sex. Because, you know, growing up, you know, we'll throw the ball, and then what we will tell our dogs, like, no, no, no. And then like, you go get that ball. He's like, gang, gang, gang. you know, it's just like going. He's like going to town, you know, and that's all my years growing up. I mean, my relationship is like, no, no, no. And like Bowser, he's just like, just cannot wait to go, you know, and then it's like, Okay, you can go. And it's like, just goes nonstop, all right? And that's the whole issue. I think a lot of times, how do you relate to this issue of intimacy? Because when you really think about it, the fact that you have a sense of longing to be connected to other people, that in and of itself, is to a certain degree, is the existence for the case that God loves you. Why? Because you were formed for relationships, you were made to have relationships, meaningful intimacy, intimacy with Christ and meaningful relationships with other people. The issue is, and the problem is, is that society has divorced sex from the original concept of God's plan. Even just talking about it, it's like, oh, we're talking about sex? Yeah, why? Because God, God came up with it. it. It's his plan. What was God's plan? God's plan, go back to Genesis, it's very simple. Scripture says there was a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. They were both naked, and they felt no shame. So, if that's Eve over there, we know Adam had a big smile on his face, all right? He's, he's just, hey, how about you? You know what I mean? It's like, God has formed us. Here we are. What is God's plan? God's plan is that sex be a part of a, what God calls a covenant relationship. And in God's plan, it's one man and one woman in a covenant relationship called marriage that this act of intimacy would occur. And what the Bible teaches is abstinence for all other people. 
I tell you know, there's a real big deal right now about you know, same-sex attraction, homosexual behavior, and the role of the church, and this, that, and the other. I would tell you this. I believe there's far more heterosexual sin that occurs within the church than there is homosexual sin. Everybody has the favorite tendency to pick on the sins they don't struggle with. But when it comes to this whole aspect of what is God's plan for sex, how did God plan for this whole thing to actually occur, you have to go back to God's, to God's plan of intimacy for a man and a woman in a covenant relationship called marriage. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, talking about intimacy in this relationship, it says, it is for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they too, or they shall become one flesh. Now, I brought some rope uh, today. Uh, I didn't know if I'd get through customs or not, but they actually let me slide through. Uh, how many ropes do you see when I hold this up right here between my hands? One? Yeah, it's one rope. This one rope is made up of three distinct parts. You can unravel this rope, and when you think about marriage, when you think about intimacy with God's plan, to me, the rope is the perfect illustration. It's two people becoming one flesh. God is the center. God is the one who pulls everything together. And you think about marriage, the, the whole thing of two people becoming one, and I've heard all the stuff, you know, you know I'm, I, it's two complete people making one person or one flesh. You never lose your personality. You never lose your particular uniqueness. Do two people become one? Yes, they become one as scripture would outline for us uh, in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense, and also in a physical sense. And God's plan is that as these two become one, it becomes so intertwined, you can't even distinguish the individual parts. It's, it's one flesh. It's, it's a sense of a covenant relationship that God has joined together that no, no other person could ever tear apart. And even this one rope with the three distinct ed, uh, uh, components to it is made up of thousands there are literally thousands of individual fibers that go into this one, the sense of oneness. And the problem that society, the lie that society has bought into is society has taken what is God's idea. God's the one who came up with sex. As a matter of fact, most sinful behavior in life is always based upon something good that God has built into us. And scripture says, this is the pathway for fulfillment to go this way, do it my way. And society will always tell you what? No, 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 take a shortcut. You don't need to do all that commitment stuff. You don't have to put all that time into it. Just take the shortcut and you'll be fulfilled. And what society has done, society says, nah, we don't need the spiritual side. We don't need like all this emotional connection. Let's just take the physical side out of it and let's just go have sex because it feels good. And you talk to the people that that's the life that they live, you know what they will always tell you? It left them feeling more empty when they ended than it did when they started. Why? Because they've divorced sex from God's original plan and God's original intention. The reason I show the, um, the marshmallow video, because here's what a lot of people end up doing, particularly those like us who know the right answers. We end up having to ask ourselves the question, if this is God's plan and it's physical, it's emotional, and it's spiritual connection of two people becoming one, the question that a lot of people struggle with then is how close to that line can I get before I cross over? 
It's living life close to the line. I mean, if this is where sex occurs within inside that boundary, I mean, society struggles today to define what sex is. I mean, is it okay to hold hands? It, does it mean something more if we like actually interlock our fingers? You know, is that like a step closer or something? Should we be able to kiss? Do we not kiss? I mean, is it on the cheek? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the question a lot of people ask is, well, how close to this line can I actually get before I get in trouble and I cross over to the other side? You know, there's a, the similar aspect a lot of times very early on in my own spiritual development. And I'd go to youth camp. You guys go to youth camp stuff growing up, okay, like camps and whatnot. There was a certain aspect early on I would always hear like guys like me, like pastors, talk about, and here's the famous line. They said, before this service is over, the Lord might return. And some of those high school years, I was like, oh, that would probably not be good for me And this particular evening. I better make sure I'm okay with God. And I would go to the front, and I'd pray, and i said, Lord, I'm so sorry, you know, and whatever. But yet there is still another side of my selfishness and my selfish living as I was wrestling through. I, I want to make sure I didn't miss out on anything fun that the world had to offer. So I try to live my life as close to that line as I could without falling over because I knew, I knew enough to know I didn't want to go to hell. And I thought, well, when I get like really old and you simply can't have any more fun in life, then I'll become fully devoted and, you know, do all the rest. And as I continued to grow, I realized that is a very immature, irresponsible, non-loving way to live your life. God, again, God doesn't want us to live life close to the line. He wants to say, do you love me? And as things began to change in my own life, my whole motivation for living began to change. And my motivation for living was no longer, I want to live as close to the, the lines of life, but make sure I don't get in trouble. Then my motivation became, it's not about the line, now it's about, God, I want to please you. I, I, I want to do everything that I could, Lord, to, to really please you and to live life according to your plan and your desire. Now, let me reframe the question of sex then. I don't even think the right question is, where should I draw the line? It's a whole other discussion for another time. It's the difference between a personal conviction and a biblical mandate. I would reframe the question this, and I'd say it this way. I think God is far more concerned with your purity than he is your virginity. God is far more interested in your purity and the purity of your desire and your intent to please him let me explain what I'm talking about. Just listen, first of all, what the scripture says when it talks about sex and sexual sin and sexual fulfillment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20, the Bible says, run from sexual sin, for no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. What's the admonition of Scripture? Run. Don't try to toe the line. Don't try to flirt with the line. Run in the opposite direction. Scripture goes on in Proverbs, for those who are married, for those who have entered into that, that covenant relationship called marriage, is Proverbs chapter 5. Scripture says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your, your wife. 
Why spill the water of your, your springs in the street having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, for she is a loving doe, a, a loving deer, and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. You know, a little interesting side note, you'll never find a passage of scripture about women uh, being satisfied by their man's breast or his body. It's always the opposite. You know why? Because God made men and women very different. Very different. For those who are married, and maybe you will be one day, my wife steps out of the shower, I'm like, oh my word, look at that. I step out of the shower, my wife says, get back on the towel, you're dripping all over the floor. It's totally different. Totally different. Why? Because God just made us differently. How do, you, how do you draw the line then? Where do you draw the line? Listen really carefully. If you're single, you would draw that line very differently than if you're married. If you're single, do not become unhealthily attached to people who are married. Don't allow yourself to enter into an unhealthy, listen really carefully, an unhealthy emotional relationship with someone who's not your spouse. Why? Because that's not your relationship. If someone else is in a covenant relationship called marriage, that, that's reserved for their marriage. And you can say, well, but I'm not doing anything. Yeah, but you're getting pretty close. It, it, it's one package deal. It's the three things that go together. For those of you who are married, or when you become married someday, if that would be a part of God's unfolding plan for your life, you have to remember to protect this relationship. It's a relationship to Jesus Christ first and foremost, but when you enter into that covenant relationship called marriage, you are saying out of the whole entire world and all the people that live there within, I am pledging and committing myself to you and to you alone. You are the person I'm choosing to invest myself with spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And do you know, and we talk to the guys, you know one of the great challenges you will fight for a long time? It is easy to love your wife physically, but not to love your wife spiritually the way you should. Why? Because that side comes very easy to you. And in scripture, it's a package deal. Let me talk to the gals, to the women for a minute here. I was talking to someone recently and it was in a counseling setting and they came in, they were having issues and whenever, whenever someone comes in for marriage counseling, it's generally some combination of these three right here. It's something physical, something more often than not emotional and something spiritual is not going on because the physical side of a relationship and marriage is always, always, always the net result of how they're doing spiritually and how they're doing emotionally, connecting with one another in that level. And the, the guy came in and says, you know, in our relationship, there's no physical side of it. And then she spoke right up and says, because there's no spiritual, there's no emotional connection in this either. And they both said, we can't live this way any longer. And I says, great, we're at a great spot then. And they said, how can you say it's a great spot? I said, because you're both frustrated, so that must tell me that you're both willing to change then. You know, the gal, she said, well, is, is, is sex really all he wants? And I looked at him, and he's like, is it okay to nod my head, or should I not nod my head? I mean, you know, what it is. And he says, it's not all I want. It's a big part of what I want. He goes, but the most important thing, I just want to feel respected by you. 
Men need to be built up, not belittled. Shanti Feldham says, behind every great man, there's always a strong woman standing in the background or, or beside him. And she says, half the reason why there's not enough strong men is because there's not enough women who are building up the men that God has placed in their life. You say, we're talking about sex. Yeah, it's the package deal. A lot of times for men, that's the means of how they will feel close. For the gals, and again, note to the guys here, that is, that is for, for, for the wife, it's, they have to feel close emotionally and spiritually for it to be a part of God's package and God's plan on the physical side. That is just the difference between men and women, but yet it's how God designed this as well. Your words carry life and death. Your words, one to another, in this covenant relationship called marriage. Again, you have spiritual connection, emotional connection. The words that you share to one another, it's everything that builds up this bank of love and this deposit to one another, where eventually, when you get around to the physical, the physical connection that God in, instilled, it's the, the expression of our love for one another, not the sum total in and of itself. That's what society has done. Society has just taken the physical side and, and divorced it from the other side of God's package. Let me share two other things. I'm going to move on here. The society in which we live, it really is an over-sexualized society. I mean, you just sit down and watch regular primetime TV. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's everywhere. Society's morality, without question, is heading the wrong direction. The words that I always share, and this might not even be for you, maybe this whole talk is to help you prepare when you get into ministry and you're dealing with other people who didn't go to Christian schools. But the word of advice that I give to you this evening in this setting is this, it's two words. One is for the women. And I would encourage the women to learn to manage your body. Manage your body. For the men, learn to manage your mind. In the New Testament, Jesus always ups the bar when it comes to what's important in life. In the Old Testament, what did the scriptures say? Do not commit adultery. In the New Testament, what did Jesus say? I tell you, don't even think about it. Do not dwell on it. Now, now I'm going to talk to the guy. You can't help what thoughts might flash through your mind, but you can certainly choose if you park next to them and dwell on them or not. Jesus revolutionized how people, particularly men, view women in the New Testament. Again, women and kids, they were property. They weren't even entitled to their own opinion. They were, they were just property, be traded, be bought and sold. Christ turned women from property to a person. Christ gave them dignity because of who they are as well as who they actually could become in life. Let me tell you a story here. It's, it's actually the story is from John chapter 8. And it's the story of Jesus um, when he was teaching. <clears throat> and when he was teaching, it says that his disciples brought to him a woman who was actually caught in the act of adultery. Now, that is a fascinating uh, passage of scripture. What does it mean to be actually caught in the act of adultery? What transpired next is the disciples came to him and they said, teacher, the law says that this woman should be put to death. What do you say? 
Now, here's the sad reality. The sad reality is these religious teachers and Pharisees, they cared nothing for the woman. She had just become an object lesson. But the rest of the people who had gathered, they had no idea how personal and how moral this whole situation was about to become. The reason I say that is because, if you're familiar with the story, it says that what Christ did is he, he knelt down, he began to write in the sand. Nobody knows for sure what he wrote in the sand. Scholars obviously talk about it, but my hunch is, is that Christ began to possibly to write the hidden sins that no one else knew about, but those who came as accusers knew about. What the scripture says is, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to turn and to walk away. Short time later, it's just Jesus and this woman. And can you even begin to experience the shame, uh, the sense of brokenness that that woman must have felt? And Christ looks into her eyes deeply and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, uh, they've, they, they've gone. And then Jesus says, then neither do I accuse you. And then he says, now go and leave your life of sin behind. You see, if Jesus had just said to the woman, hey, it's okay, I love you, don't worry about it, then he would have been breaking the law. If Christ had told those who came accusing, yeah, you're right, go ahead and stone her, he would have lost all popularity and all sense of authority and leadership amongst the people. I think that story right there really is one of the best examples of when scripture in John 1.14 says that Christ came, the one and only who was full of grace and truth at the exact same time. It was exhibited in that story right there. Now, as Elizabeth comes to the keyboard and some of you guys are gonna be taking this board off, you can go ahead and take that board off as well. I wanna share with you one more part of this story here. I think some guys are taking this off. There, you guys can pop that off. Again, remember the whole concept that we're talking about for these two days? It's the quest. And the quest is the passionate pursuit of. This morning, it was the passionate pursuit of God's wisdom, which is God's, pre God's presence and God's purposes. In this service, the passionate pursuit is for purity. And, and here's the great challenge for a lot of us is we wish our rope looked like this, but if the truth are to be known, there's some things in our past that we've already, we've already given parts of ourselves away to some other people. Possibly we've already crossed a few emotional boundaries. Maybe we crossed even a couple of physical boundaries. And maybe something that happened, it wasn't even our choice. It was someone else that we thought loved us. They took some things from us. And now we feel like we're almost like we're damaged goods. Or we feel as if like we're broken. And possibly some of us even struggle with, you know, purity as far as like our internet surfing. We do pretty good for a while and then something happens. We're like, God, man, how can I be that person? I don't even want to be that person. It's like Paul, you know, like the things I don't want to do. God, that's the very thing I find myself doing. How do I break out of that? I, I'm powerless to break out of that. I'm telling you guys, there is only one person 
there's only one person in all the world who can make all things new. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only person who can take the brokenness of our past and do a work that only he can do where he says, you are now forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who stand in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, that is exactly how far. It's not it's as if it didn't even happen anymore. Because if you hold on to those parts of the brokenness of your life, what you are doing is you are invalidating the gift of God and his grace, his blood shed on the cross. If you hold on to that pain, you hold on to that hurt, you are saying, God, I, don't, I think you're good enough for everything else. I just don't think you're good enough to heal me and to touch me. You know, this whole sense of struggle with what does it mean to be made whole? I want to remind you tonight, there's no sin in the struggle. There are some things you just have to struggle through, but the advantage is you do not have to go it alone. Amen? I had some coins made for you. On one side of this coin, it says grace. On the other side of this coin, it says truth. It's who Jesus is. More precious than rubies, more valuable than gold. Nothing compares to him. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm just gonna ask you in a moment here just to kind of reflect on the stuff we've been talking about. I have no idea. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a few of us who've been carrying some brokenness and some pain, maybe even from high school days or earlier. You can let go of that today. And you can say, Lord, I really, I need your grace. I need your healing touch. I've tried to reconcile it myself and I can't. Some of you might say, Lord, I, I, not only do I struggle on occasion, I actually, I, cross the, I find myself crossing the line more than I, I don't want to cross that line. I, I want to be the person that lives based on purity, not a certain line of virginity. And Lord, I'm making a commitment. I, I want your strength and your power to help me to, to truly learn what it means to walk in truth. A lot of these coins, you'll find they're placed in two strategic locations. One is this treasure chest because there's one source. It's Christ. I spread it out across the altars. I have found that you can talk to God walking across the grass sitting in the row but I would tell you there, the altar has been a historic meeting place between God and man for generations there are times in my own life where I feel something it's so significant I actually have to do something physical to kind of communicate or to give legs to my faith or to give legs to that which I feel what I'm going to ask you to do is just to bow your heads and quiet yourself and just think about the stuff that we've talked about here. If you would like to come to the front and kind of grab a coin and maybe spend some time with God around the front, that's fine. If you want to just do it from your row, that's fine too. But what this response is is about his 
healing, healing grace, which is only found in his presence. And it's in renewed, maybe it's a, a renewed commitment, maybe it's a commitment for the first time to walk in the way of truth, which is based upon his purposes and his principles. You gotta have both. And as Elizabeth and the band gets into place at this time, in the midst of this next song, you and God just talk. And you respond in whatever way would deem appropriate for you. You may stay there, you may come to the front.